The gospel today comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not, divide, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich friends. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was my first ever day of football camp, and I was really nervous. As a freshman, I was going to try and impress everyone, and so I hurried to get out to the bus first. And as I got on there and I stepped up to get into the bus, I got caught by my shoulder pads and my helmet in one hand, almost dropped my water bottle that was in my other hand, but I maneuvered through and got on up the steps, and I'm trying to scurry back to the very back so I'm out of everyone's way. On the way, my shoelaces get caught on the cleats and I'm clumsily just tripping over myself trying to hurry back there. And as I finally get to the back seat, as I finally sit down, I hear the voice of one of the sophomores from the front of the bus yell, No freshman in the back of the bus! Uh Uh-oh. All the sophomores start joining in, jeering at me, voicing their displeasure at what I had just done. Even some freshmen join in, jeering, booing, hissing at me. Others just sit and roll their eyes because they knew something I didn't know. See, apparently there's this unwritten rule on football buses. I don't know if it's everywhere, but on this football bus, the back of the bus is reserved for sophomores, at least on the JV team. If it was varsity, it's reserved for the upperclassmen on the team. I didn't know that. And so now... I have to move all the way from the back and slink through all these sophomores to the most uncomfortable seat on the bus, the one that's always the last one taken. It's right above the wheel well, so your knees are sitting on your chin the whole time. So now I'm sitting there. Instead of making friends and acting macho in front of everybody, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm dejected. Figuring out where to sit on the JV football bus was a tough thing for me. And Jesus finds himself in a similar situation in today's reading. But he's not 
on a bus. He's in a house. And people were having a hard time figuring out where to sit in Jesus' day. And it's difficult to figure out where to sit in our lives today, too. So let's listen to Jesus. Let's listen to what he has to say to us. And he's going to tell us where to sit around people. So put yourself in that house, in that prominent Pharisee's house, with other Pharisees around, other guests, and Jesus. And the Pharisees, we're told, are watching Jesus carefully. But it's not, they're, they're not watching for a miracle. They're not watching for their faith to be enriched by something that Jesus says. No, in, in similar situations, other accounts in the gospel say that the Pharisees watch for something for Jesus to do wrong. Something that they can use against him. And so they look for Jesus to make a mistake. But as always happens in, this, in those texts, the Pharisees and the guests are the ones who make the mistake. Everyone starts to take their seats and there appears to be some jostling or maybe even some verbal arguing that's going on as they're trying to get to the right place. The way a Jewish banquet or a, Jew, a Jewish feast worked is the host would sit at the head of the table the guests of honor to his right and to his left. And then everyone else would sit in order according to the relationship they had with the host. So the closer you sat to the host on the table, or at the table, the closer your relationship with the host was, the more respected you were by the host and by everyone else at that feast. And so maybe that gives a little better idea of why there would have been jostling or arguing or fighting over whose seat was whose. Jesus sees that, and he begins speaking. And notice what his first word is. It's when, or whenever someone invites you. This wasn't a question of whether or not someone would be invited to a wedding banquet. It applied to every single person in that room, at that table. Jews feasted all the time, probably on a weekly basis, and so the odds were very likely that you would be invited to a feast. Those words apply to everyone in that room, and they apply to everyone here, too. Jesus continues in the middle of verse 8, Do not take the place of honor, because if you sit there and someone else more respected by the host shows up, you're going to get kicked out of your seat and move to the lowest spot at the table, much like I was on that JV football bus. Instead, Jesus says, start out at that lowest spot. Start there, and then when the host comes, he'll see that you should be moved up. And so he'll say, friend, move up to a higher place. Then, as you're moving up, you will receive and gain more honor from all your peers, all the people that are there, and from the host than if you had started out at a high spot and stayed there the whole time. But Jesus isn't done yet. He turns to the host, who would have been pretty much exempt from all this seating business. It's his party, so he gets to sit at the head of the table, right? But Jesus turns to him and says, when you invite people to a banquet, don't invite the people that are like you, thinking that you'll be repaid because they could invite you back to their feast. That actually won't bring you true happiness. Instead, do the opposite. Invite the people that you don't expect to get repayment from. Invite the people that aren't like you. 
And he lists the poor, the crippled, the blind. Then, if you do that, you will be repaid in ways you can't even imagine right now. So what's the point? Why does Jesus tell this? Why does Jesus speak in this way? Is it really about seating arrangements or party etiquette or who not or who to invite to your party? No, it's, it's pride. It's pride and it's selfishness. Pride told the guests that they had to sit in a prominent place in order to be noticed. Selfishness told the host that he could only stand to be around certain people, people that were just like him, people that he could get something back from. But what does that pride and selfishness look like for us today as 21st century Christians? Whether we realize it or not, we do try to take those places of honor and jostle for position with other people in our lives. You work 40 plus hours a week and you slave away each and every one of those minutes that you're there only to see someone else get the promotion that you were vying for. And so you shut down and you stop working hard and instead you harbor anger in your heart. Anger at the person who got the promotion. Anger at your boss. What good is it going to do anyways if I don't get what I want? Maybe you have a to-do list at home. But missing from that to-do list is time to stop and ask your son or daughter how their day at school went. Sure, you have a short amount of time to complete that and there's, all so, there's so many important things to do, but you're forsaking your call to be a loving parent. Perhaps you finish a project around the house only to get no thanks from your spouse. Doesn't he realize when I do anything for him? And so you chalk up a tally against him Love him a little less until you get that recognition that you so deserve. A friendship is hurting because that person said or did something to you that you didn't like and so you're not going to forgive them until they say they're sorry and that they really mean it. So you let one little thing become bigger than the whole idea of forgiveness? Do you you sense that prideful contention that we put ourselves in? Those places of honor that we try to take for ourselves? We can be the host, too. This past January, I traveled to Israel as part of my study, and it was really a life-changing experience, absolutely outstanding. But for the first time in really my whole life, I became the minority It made me feel really uncomfortable, caused me to shut down. And so I I stayed in my comfort zone. I took pictures, I listened to the tour guide, and I joked around with my friends and the people that were in my group, all of whom were Christians like me. But not once did I stop to reach out with the gospel to someone who was different than I was. And honestly, I didn't want to. I didn't want to bridge that cultural and religious gap that stood between me and that person. And the truth is, if I had a house over there, 
and I was throwing a party one of those days, I don't think I would have invited any Muslim or any Jew to come sit at my table with me. But I should have. If I'm really listening to Jesus' words, and if you're really listening to Jesus' words, your invitation list will include people that aren't like you, people that you don't expect repayment from. Because that's what love does. Love reaches out to those who aren't like us. Love serves people without expecting anything in return. Love pushes away your comfort zone so that you can save more souls. I understand that my, my example, my story, comes from a wide cultural setting and in a foreign country, but we all have our do-not-invite lists right here at home. Maybe it's based on how much money someone makes, what their house looks like, where they live, what color their skin is, what kind of clothes they wear, what their religion is, what their gender is. If you're in high school, maybe it's based off what clique you're in, what kind of extracurriculars you do, whether it's sports or drama or choir. Are they pretty or not? Friends, Jesus wants us to sit next to people that aren't like us. And he wants us to sit next to them not expecting anything in return. It's tough to stomach. It's really hard to hear. If you're anything like me, you have a little burning sensation right in here. And I want to tell you the reason it hurts so much to hear, the reason it's so hard to stomach, is because there's actually a bigger problem. Look back at verse 7 with me. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. A parable in the context of the Bible and of Jesus telling parables is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So there's a bigger picture here. Jesus isn't just telling us where to sit around people. Through this parable, Jesus is telling us where to sit before God. And if you have a problem, a problem with pride in one of your relationships or maybe multiple relationships here on earth, it has to follow that you have an even bigger pride problem in your relationship with God. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, that person is a liar. So either you don't really hate your brother or you don't really love God, odds are it's the second one. As you look back through your week and you say, Oh, I'm still angry at that person. I haven't forgiven that person. Or your family's hurting because you're so distant, whatever it might be, you are hurting your relationship with your God. Do you see the problem? God says you can't have a good relationship with him if you think that you are better or more important than anyone else. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. God says take that lowest spot, lower than they are, And wait for me to bring you up. 
only by my grace. As I read parables more and more, I love to think about what's going on in Jesus' mind as he's speaking them. Because really, he's telling a story about himself most of the time. He's, he's a character in those parables. So what's going on in Jesus' mind as he's telling this parable? It made me think of Philippians 2, a great, a great section about Christ and his work for us that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And there Paul says that Christ, that Jesus is true God, and yet he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or to, use, to, to be used to his advantage. So he let go of it. He let go of it and he became a servant instead. He became a servant made in human likeness and he humbled himself so far that he was even put to death on a cross. Now, why did Jesus do that? Was it because we have to follow his example step by step and die on a cross and live a perfect life? No. He did all of that to fulfill the law for us. Jesus took that lowest seat for us. And he didn't take the lowest seat so that he would be moved up to a higher place. Jesus took that lowest seat so that we would be moved up to a higher place. He humbled himself so that we would be exalted. We were those poor, those crippled, those maimed, those blind in God's eyes that Jesus was talking about. And yet, God gave it all. Even though we had nothing to repay God back with, he gave it all. He gave his life for us. And he invites us to heaven to sit at his, his heavenly banquet, his heavenly feast with him. All because of Jesus' love, Jesus' grace, his forgiveness. In order to make this more, more real for you today, I want to tell you another parable that Jesus told a little later in Luke's Gospel. It's about a Pharisee and a tax collector who go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stands where everyone can see him. And I always imagine him with his hands stretched wide, his, his head turned to heaven, and he says in a loud voice, God, I thank you that I am not like all these other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector here. I fast twice a day and I give a tenth of all that I get. Do you hear the pride? Do you see what's wrong with the Pharisee's prayer? Sure, he says, God, I thank you, but he's really saying, God, you better thank me for how good I am because I'm way better than all these other people. And then Jesus turns our attention to the tax collector and we really would have missed him if Jesus wouldn't turn our direction his way. He's in the corner. His head bowed low. He's ashamed. He's embarrassed. He's hurt. And he's hurt by his own sin. So he stands in the corner, his head bowed low, beating his chest, and he says, God, have mercy on me, 
a sinner. Who do you think God told to move up to a higher place in that parable? Jesus said it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who went home justified that day. See, the the tax collector recognized his own sin that put him in that lowest place. But he also relied fully on God's grace and God's forgiveness. And strikingly, Jesus ends that parable, that parable the same way he ends today's parable. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what is our prayer today? Is it that we would be more humble in our relationships with others? Yes, that's, that's extremely important. No matter where we are in life, male or female, adult or child, Anywhere we are, pride and selfishness is going to always try to creep in and get in the way of our, of our relationship with people. But more importantly, we pray that we may be like that tax collector and continually throw ourselves at the foot of the cross when we look at Christ and his cross, we see his grace And when we see his grace, when we feel it, when we hear it more and more and more, we're able to live it out more and more and more in true humility. As C.S. Lewis once said, when we are humble, we don't think any less of ourselves. We just think about ourselves less. The grace that causes us to think of ourselves less frees us to forgive. The grace that causes us to think of ourselves less enables us to serve people the way that Jesus would, not expecting anything in return. It causes us to sit and talk and share the gospel with those who aren't like us. Grace drowns out the flames of anger in our hearts. It erases the record of wrongs we might otherwise hold in our hearts. It took me exactly one day to figure out where to sit on the JV football bus years ago. I'm very careful on buses now. I'm not sure what rules there are here and there. I'm not, not, haven't nailed that down yet. And maybe you're still considering where you should sit in life. As you ponder that, as you think about that In the coming days, move out of the way. Push your pride and selfishness out of the way so that you have a clear path to God and his grace. Grace brings humility. When you understand what God's grace does for you and what it does for everyone else around you in your life or people you don't even know, it changes your life. It changes the way you live. God's grace shows us exactly where to sit in our relationships with people and in our relationship with our God. So now sit in the right place. Sit at the foot of the cross. Amen.